Women's Work is a special podcast production from Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. And if you're liking this podcast so far, you might want to consider signing up for our weekly newsletter. You'll get sneak previews on upcoming episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos for my reporting. Head over to boisestatepublicradio.org slash newsletters. Heads up that there are a couple swears in this episode. This recording is taking place on the ancestral grounds of the um, Spokane tribe of Indians who lived upon about three million acres, which includes the city of Spokane, and down to the Columbia, down to Koufax, you know, out towards Cheney and Ritzville. That was our ancestral lands that we lived on for thousands of years. Uh, we were placed here, brought here by Creator to take care of these lands and we will continue to do that forever. Beth Robinette doesn't care what the good old boys at the local coffee shop say about her. You know, in cowboy boots, I'm six feet tall and I'm covered in tattoos and I got hairy armpits and my husband cross-dresses as a lady on the weekends. Like, I'm so beyond giving a shit. No one, like, no one, I'm not, I don't, I don't care what they think. Beth owns and runs the Lazy R Ranch, about half an hour outside of Spokane, Washington. The ranch has been in her family since the 30s. Her great-grandfather ran a dairy farm here. Then her grandfather and father switched it over to a beef operation. Beth came back to the ranch 10 years ago after she finished college, and she's been learning the landscape ever since the plants, the seasonal patterns, the soil. But the biggest learning for her has been about the cultural history of her land and the people from whom it was taken. I know the history of how I came to own it. And it wasn't because I went and put a gun up against somebody's head, but it was because somebody (laughs) went and put a gun up against somebody's head. And the goods are still ill-gotten, and I'm still in possession of them. The vast majority of ranches across the West are owned by white people. You know, like that, that stuff didn't happen on accident. That happened on design. And, uh, and if we're not satisfied with that, we should do something about it. And it's as simple as that. So I'm trying. <laughs> by treaty and by genocide, the West was taken from Native Americans. And the road to healing and reconciliation is a long and slow one. But Beth Robinette has found a partner on that journey. Hi! How's it going? Lorraine Wiley is a member of the Colville tribe and co-founder of the Salish School in Spokane. It's a language immersion school that's helping indigenous youth reconnect with their culture. Together, Beth Robinette and Lorraine Wiley have been working to heal the past and they're using the land to do it. I'm Ashley Ahern, and this is Women's Work, stories about the changing face of ranching in the West. Lorraine Wiley is a small, energetic woman with twinkly eyes and thin black braids that hang down over each shoulder. 
As a girl, she lived right down the road from Beth Robinette's ranch. When I was growing up, I just grew up a little ways past here, over that way, like a mile. And that um, when I was little, we'd ride our bikes down here, and they had a donkey. Pickles had a donkey down here. <laughs> and, we'd, and we'd come down, ride our bikes in the evening, give it a carrot or something, then ride back home. And so to finally have that connection with Beth is just like full circle for me. It's like, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Lorraine co-founded the Salish School more than a decade ago. There are 58 students enrolled this year, ranging from a year old to a sophomore in high school. The students and teachers there speak the Colville Okanagan language. There are believed to be just four fluent speakers of that dialect of the Salish language left in the U.S. Lorraine says a big part of connecting her students with their language and culture is getting them out on the land. I kind of feel like that's part of bringing the language back is learning how to, you know, use our traditional foods and process them and bringing that back to our people. Relearning, I guess, is what it is, really, because so much of our learning was cut off because of the boarding schools and genocide. And so we're trying to bring bring our language back and that everything I feel like everything kind of stems from our language. And with our language coming back, then our, our other cultural pieces come back as well. Many white Americans don't grow up knowing this history of genocide and boarding schools. It's not taught in many schools today, though that's starting to change. Hey, Warren. Warren Saylor is a tribal historian and a former council member of the Spokane Tribe of Indians. He and I met up at the Spokane Tribal Casino, which is about 15 miles from Beth Robinette's ranch. And I followed him into a conference room off the main gaming hall. Is this okay for you? This is wonderful, yeah. Can we just grab a couple chairs? Yeah. Oh, thank you. The Spokane Tribe and the Confederated Tribes of the Colville Reservation, Luray's people, both inhabited the lands where Beth's ranch is now. And this casino, Warren tells me, is on a pretty significant spot, historically speaking. This site and just west of here is where basically, you know, in all honesty, uh, we made our last stand. You know, in 1858, from this site, you would have seen a battle. Uh, you would have heard gunshots, cannon blasts, war cries, um, fire was going on, but this was our last stand. Earlier that spring of 1858, the Spokane and other nations had defeated the U.S. Army not far from here. But the U.S. troops came back that summer under Colonel George Wright. And when they came, they had a new rifle with a longer, more lethal range. There were a series of battles all around the area where Beth Robinette's ranch is now. Thousands of Native Americans died. And when tribal leaders came to negotiate with Colonel Wright at his camp, he had them hanged. George Wright was coming to kill and to punish the Spokane tribe and the Coeur d'Alene's and uh, Yakima tribes, some Palouse, um, for defending our country. Homesteaders had begun pouring into the Spokane Valley. The U.S. government wanted Native Americans off the land and onto nearby reservations. People were starting to come to our land. They were wanting our farmland. They were wanting our fishing sites. They were wanting everything that provided for the Spokanes for thousands of years was now being under pressure to be taken from us. 
Under the Homestead Act of 1862, white settlement expanded rapidly. Children were taken away to boarding schools, and the Spokane tribe was ultimately forced onto a reservation in 1881. Warren told me the first owners of Beth Robinette's ranch may have claimed the land right out from under Native Americans who were living there. Because he realized at that time, Indians were not considered people. You know, and, and that's the way it was. So that land, I would say, probably began as some homesteaders putting a stick in the ground and claiming it as their own. Um, it, it was that simple. So having the casino back here kind of puts a foothold back on this part of the land for the tribe, which mm -hmm. is good. The land that once we were pushed off of, we're, we have regained that foothold. Even though they grew up less than a mile away from one another, Beth Robinette didn't grow up knowing the same history Luray Wiley did. At least, when Beth was a kid, it wasn't taught in school. And this isn't the kind of stuff most ranchers get together and talk about. Beth's awareness about the history of her family's land and who inhabited it before white settlers is largely self-taught. And her curiosity was actually inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. Beth followed the urban uprisings and police brutality closely on social media. I was trying to do a lot of reflection on what all that meant to me. And, and like, am I culpable in all of this? Or am I not? Or do I get a free pass? And like, huh, or what should I, if I don't, what should I do about all of that? And, um, and so I've just put a, a ton of time into pondering that question and learning, you know, just, just understanding like, <laughs> what is the privilege that I have? And a big part of it is this piece of land. Beth began to research the history of this land and what happened to the Spokane people during colonization and white settlement. Her family was not the first white family to own this land, the ones to put the stake in the ground, as Warren said. But she feels complicit. Yeah, you know, I feel that. I am very connected to this place, and I feel that, um, that there's hurt. And, uh, yeah, and I'm very aware of my connection to that legacy, and uh, in whatever way I'm able, I'd like to try try to make a play at some healing around that if it's if it's possible that's where beth got the idea to reach out to Lorray wiley and the salish school beth had driven by the school in spokane a bunch of times but she'd never met anyone there somehow i don't know why i decided to message them on instagram i just like I just set, shot them a little message. It was like, hey, this is what's up. And she invited them to come out to the ranch. I didn't even hear back for a few days and I kind of forgot about it. And I think like a, maybe even a month later, like several weeks later, I got a message back that was like, oh man, nobody really monitors this Instagram account. Which of course, do, like, why did I even, why didn't I call them or send them an actual email to the email address? I don't know. But, but, but like someone just got around to looking at this message and like someone will be in touch with you. 
Lorraine responded to Beth's message, and the two got to know one another. They talked about the land and the history. Then they met in person. Eventually, they decided to bring students out to the ranch. They started small. A group of kindergartners came out and harvested some wild roots in the spring. And the kids got really into it, Beth told me. This past fall, they wanted to bring some older students out to the ranch. And they let me come along and record. So on a cool fall morning, Beth and I head over to a marshy meadow on her land. Soon, a van pulls in and a handful of teenagers get out. How's it going? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad <laughs> you guys are here. Finally. I know. Finally. Oh, my what God. What a long Lorraine jumps out and hugs Beth. Then she starts talking to her students in the Colville Okanagan language about the ranch. I was just telling them <laughs> that um, this is your ranch and that um, you guys do uh, a kind of farming that takes care of the land where you're, you're moving the cattle to different places where they can graze rather than having them all in one spot and that that's a really great way to take care of the land and that we're grateful to be here today. So Tali Limont. We're really happy to have you guys here, and uh, I don't know if you want to, if I should say anything about the ranch, or oh, yes. you want to... yes, because these guys haven't been here before. Cool, yeah, so, um, so we raise grass-fed beef, I also have some sheep, um, but uh, like Lorraine was saying, we're, we're really trying to, like, take an approach to our grazing that's about taking care of the land and um and using the cattle as a tool as a tool to achieve that rather than kind of trying to take as much as we can um and personally i'm on a quest to just be a less shitty white person so um i think having you guys here is is part of my personal journey um so i'm real i'm really excited to learn from all of you and uh, to have you here, and I hope you just have a great time running around and being on the land today. The students will be harvesting tule. It's a type of bulrush with a long, spongy stalk. You'll find them growing in big clumps in marshy wetland areas. Lorea explains that her ancestors used the tule to insulate their teepees and lodges. They'd also weave the long stalks into mats. And then um, a lot of times, Back in the day, you'd see people for winter dances use the mats for like um, setting food on and, and when we have our feasts. That's one of the things that I am trying to bring back is our winter dance and the, and the mats, you know, so that we can, and that's what these guys are gonna be working on is making those mats. So yeah, we're just happy to be here today. And Lorraine and the students make an offering of tobacco to the land and thanks for today's harvest. Let's get some coolies. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, have at it. I mean, there's like just right down here over along the edge, pretty much all the way around. You guys are going to be busy for a while, I think. Yeah, we're going to start. Huh? We're going to get started on these tomorrow. Cool. Well, I'm going to have to. The students split up and walk off into the wetland with clippers. Yeah. I follow Lorraine over to a big patch of tulies. Trying to find nice, long, straight ones. 
That's what you're looking for. She's crouched at the base, clipping the long green stalks. They're taller than she is, and laying them on the ground beside her. And then just clip it at the bottom. Lorraine said it meant a lot to her that Beth reached out with the invitation to bring students to the ranch. It can be nerve-wracking taking students out to harvest plants and medicine, Lorraine told me. Native people are sometimes made to feel unwelcome, even on public land. Sometimes folks will um, kind of look at you strange, like, what are you doing? What are you taking? What are these people doing? And, and you know, so that's something that always kind of uh, weighs on me as we're out gathering, and I always want to make sure that we have places that are safe for our students to be. And so it's, uh, it, was, it was very special to have her reach out to us. Lorraine says she feels safe bringing her students here. Beth may not have all the right answers, but she's reaching out anyway, when many landowners aren't. It's, it was shocking to hear Beth say, as a white person, I don't want to be a shitty white person. I want to give back, right? And, and this land wasn't mine and my family's, and most people don't say that. <laughs> and especially when it comes to land and the whole idea of ownership, you know, is so um, ingrained in the American broader culture. And it's so different from, I think, historically, how Native people, how we saw land ownership. Lorray tells me that ownership wasn't a formal concept for her ancestors. It wasn't about holding dominion or extracting value or having a legal document to prove that land belonged to you. The land was their mother. You didn't own your mother. It was about working with the land, tending it, being a part of it. We knew where everything was. Uh, we maintained it using fire. We, you know, gathered accordingly. We left some so that there'd still be other places for it to grow. We were managing the land. And that's really different than imposing what you need on the land. There's an indigenous-led movement that's taken hold over the past few years. It's called the Land Back Campaign. And it's about restoring political and economic control to indigenous people in the U.S. and Canada over lands that once belonged to them. Now, that can take a lot of different forms. Some tribes are buying back land that white settlers took. Some nonprofits are giving land back to tribes, or they're creating legal agreements that protect tribal rights to access land that's culturally important to them. Ranchers have not been a part of the land back movement in any significant way so far. That's what drew me to Beth. She may not be signing her property over to the Spokane or Colville tribes, but she's offering what she can, and Lorraine is excited about it. The fact that we can come here as a group and gather, that, that's land back. That's land back, you know? And that, to me, those relationships, and it doesn't have, for me, it doesn't have to be illegally. This land is, you know, but it's like that access to those resources on that land is what I'm interested in. When I met with Warren Saylor at the Spokane Tribal Casino, I told him about Lorraine and what she and Beth are doing together. He has a lot of respect for Lorraine's efforts to keep the Salish language alive through the young people she's teaching, and for her efforts to connect with Beth and her land. Some people might not see what a gift that is. It's, it's, more of, it's more than just collecting tulies. It's a growing and fulfilling experience for some of those youth. 
Because we look at the modern world today, so many youth are lost. All of us have holes in our life or in our being that need to be filled. For tribal people, it's understanding who they are, who they were, and how their ancestors lived. That knowledge helps fill some of those holes in those kids. And with that knowledge, Warren told me, can come strength. When tribal youth learn what their ancestors went through, what they survived, he says they often find power in that. And they realize no matter how hard they tried to do away with us, how many things they threw at us, from bullets and cannon fire to boarding schools to trying to change the way we think about Earth and the world and, and all these, to eliminate our culture and our traditions. Our ancestors are so strong, so resilient, they understand it's their turn to take up that resiliency. find Kale Nissen cutting tulis by himself not far from Luray. He's a sophomore at the Salish School. Kale and Ashley, is it alright if I record you a little bit? Yeah, of course. Kale's tall and lanky with thick black hair that falls over his face sometimes when he talks. Part of it's dyed purple. He's a member of the nearby Colville tribe, like Luray. Growing up in the Salish School, Kale told me harvesting medicine and plants like tuli always seemed normal to him. And I just kind of thought of it as something that was continuing to go on. I was like, I'm Native American. This is what my ancestors did, so this is what I do. But it never really um, like occurred to me that I was like one of the first generations that's back doing this after like hundreds of years, after it was like taken away from my people. And I try to focus more on. Um, how awesome it is that we're bringing it back more than than it was like the fact that it was taken away from us because it's not like it's not like it was that long ago i know people who were in like these boarding schools i have elders that have talked to us about what it's like or what it was like like i've seen plenty of elders cry because of how proud they are and how happy that they they get to see this stuff coming back kale said it was hard at first learning the history of what his elders went through but today, he's happy to be here, looking toward the future with Beth. Yeah, it's super sweet of her to offer it up. And um, it's kind of like a way of apologizing, even though it wasn't her. Like, I, don't, I don't blame her for it, but it's, it's nice to know that there are other people trying to contribute to bringing our stuff back. It's getting later in the afternoon, and the students are gathering the tulis and getting ready to load them up and head out. They're probably getting ready to pack. Yeah. Pack up a little bit. I guess I should get a couple more. I feel like my pile's kind of pitiful. I find Beth Robinette <laughs> on her own, cutting long stalks to add to the piles the students have made. <laughs> my fault. Just blame me. I'll let you know I'm lazy. I'm lazy. <laughs> What Beth's doing with Loray on her 800 acres may be just a tiny step. Two sets of hands reaching toward one another across the rift between the people who cared for this land for millennia and the people who took it away from them. But like so many things in rural communities, it's about relationships. It's about visiting, listening, 
and spending time working together on the land. I can't help but feel like these two women are building something here, even though Beth is quick to downplay her efforts. I recognize the inadequacy of what I'm doing because I'm not giving it back now, <laughs> yet. But I also know that there are ways of having relationships with land that are much more profound than the words on a piece of paper. And I do have control of fixing some of that right now. So that is what I'm doing today. That's the one thing I can do today and tomorrow. That's gonna be fucking great. Next episode. Development is booming in rural communities across much of the West. We'll head to Colorado's Front Range to meet a rancher who wants to find a balance between cows and condos. How do you appreciate agriculture because that is your open space? That's where the wildflowers are blooming or that's the most beautiful part of my drive to work. Women's Work is edited by Whitney Henry Lester. Special thanks to Christine Trudeau for help on this episode. Sound design is by Liza Yeager. Art for the series is by Katie Michael. And our land acknowledgement at the top of the episode was recorded by Warren Saylor.